This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. Welcome to Voices in Healthcare Finance. I'm Erica Grotto. The price transparency deadline is right around the corner, but you know the story doesn't end on January 1st. In today's episode, I'm talking with Ogi Kwan of R1RCM about going beyond compliance and toward a better patient experience. Later, I'll be talking with Chris Dunkerley and Doug Folsom from our sponsor, Trimedics, about medical device cybersecurity. But first, let's hear what Rich has been working on. We're going beyond the news right now. Hello, this is Rich Daly, a senior writer and editor for HFMA. This is Chuck Alster from a director of professional practice at HFMA. And thanks for joining us today on the Beyond the News segment of the podcast. This is where we take a quick look at the significance of recent healthcare finance news developments. So first up was a recent Moody's 2021 outlook for the not-for-profit hospital and healthcare sector. It concluded that it will remain a negative outlook next year. Rating agency cited reductions in employer-sponsored insurance and rising expenses amid the coronavirus crisis. So, Chuck, what should not-for-profit healthcare finance leaders know about the 2021 unknowns for their organizations? That's a tough question, right? There, there are a lot of unknowns. I think the main point, and it coincides with the Moody's is getting at, is that while the the virus is is surging and we have a vaccine, you know, on its way, just starting this week. Uh, the tail on this thing is going to be quite long. We're going to, I think, see a, a continued uh, infection rate for a while. Uh, we're going to see increase in acuity, increase in length of stay. Uh, we're seeing that around the country. So capacity constraints, which do lead to additional costs, which will lead to uh, lost volume as well, potentially. So there's going to be a lot. It's going to be a tough road in 2021. So we're not out of the woods yet. And then also wanted to ask you about this week's first approved vaccine for COVID-19, this one by Pfizer. And it started to roll out, of course, to hospitals and health systems across the country. And Moderna, of course, has another one on deck awaiting final approval. So what should finance leaders be watching there, Chuck? I think just keeping an eye on uh, any additional vaccines and, and really what the sequencing is and the, the vaccination rate you know, as we close in on, quote unquote, herd immunity, you know, as Dr. Fauci said, maybe early summer, just kind of keep an eye on that. I think that'll help potentially forecasting volume and demand. But I guess the other thing to consider, too, is the implications for your own organization and policies around that. Okay. And then, uh, of course, a related question was that among possible vaccine pain points, are reports of some health systems that some share of their employees are reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Could that issue carry significance and how much of a priority should uh, those leaders be making outreach to uh, any reluctant employees? Yeah, I, I do think that it's significant. 
Uh, I'm not sure how significant, but the reluctance, I hope, will subside as we see, you know, some major leaders and potentially former presidents receiving the vaccine. You know, I, I think about this in relation to the flu vaccine issues that we had several years ago with healthcare workers being uncomfortable getting it or, you know, refusing to, to take it and some of the policies, the mandatory policies that were put into place then. So I think we've been here before and I think we'll get through it. So I don't know, outside of messaging and communicating, obviously the importance and the, the safety, this is a, a much more significant uh, virus. I think just maybe looking back at the playbook from the flu vaccine and seeing if you can take anything from there in terms of communication and outreach. Well, thanks a lot for those insights, Chuck, on these many uh, fast-moving, multifaceted challenges. Of course, you can also keep up with the latest developments related to COVID and other major financial issues by checking out our news page, and that's located at hfma.org forward slash news. Looking for a quick and easy way to fill open positions on your team? Post your open positions through HFMA's Job Bank, the niche recruiting site for healthcare finance professionals like you. List your open positions today at hfma.org slash job bank. Compliance with the price transparency rule is a big task for hospitals, and I certainly hope everyone listening is well on the way at this point. But there's a difference between compliance and good patient financial communication. Recently, I spoke with Ogi Kwan, Manager of Regulatory Compliance for R1RCM, about how to go beyond compliance and position your organization for success in 2021. There's been a lot of opposition to this rule, but one thing that people seem to agree on is that price transparency is the right thing to do. We know what the hospitals have to do to be compliant, but price transparency is a larger discussion. Consumers are looking for a different experience than they were even a few years ago. How do we go beyond compliance? How do we do the right thing for our consumers and provide a truly good consumer experience around price transparency? I think what makes price transparency such a complicated issue is that the rules as identified and as laid out by CMS actually can cause patients more confusion than, than they otherwise would. And the example I'll take is if a person is looking up, say, a new patient visit and they're looking up you know, for my insurance company, how much would I likely be able to pay if that's what they're thinking? But in reality, if they were to look this up based on the CMS rules from a hospital website, what they would see is not necessarily how much money that they would be paying out of pocket, but rather what the payer-specific negotiated charge might be. And that might be maybe $150 or $200, even though in their instance, maybe because of their insurance, they'd actually be paying nothing out of pocket. It would be completely covered. So that actually could lead, in some instances, to patients deciding not to receive care because they think the cost is more than it actually would. So from an organizational perspective, I believe that organizations that can effectively use technology to drive the patient experience, specifically by using accessible applications that are free to use, that require some information from the patient in terms of just identifying the service that they're looking for, an insurance company, but not requiring a login or any sort of information like that, but that can provide patients with additional insight into what their out-of-pocket costs 
might be, including you know if they wanted to pay with cash, what that might look like. I think in that instance, hospitals are very much poised to differentiate themselves and provide better patient experience outcomes. Um, as patients will find that the estimates that they're receiving are, are much more in line with what they might be actually paying as opposed to information about rates. Do you think this might be just step one in in a journey with CMS toward better price transparency and consumer experience? Is this just the first thing that, that we're going to need to do? Or is this the thing that we need to be compliant with and the rest is up to us? I think that if you look at price transparency sort of historically, CMS has been talking about price transparency for quite a while, but as it's evolved, it went from sort of an understanding that publishing standard charges was about publishing charge master rates. And then CMS identified that, well, many patients have private insurance. So what the charge master states for a hospital doesn't necessarily reflect what a patient pays. And now we have standard charges, which is much more broad. And while standard charges provides patients you know, potentially a lot of information, the issue I think at this point is distilling that information. So potentially in the future, once price transparency has gotten some more traction and organizations have had some experience with publishing this information and, and trying to serve their patients as best they can, then potentially there could be more that comes out if not requirements, then more guidelines from CMS to how to best communicate this information. Because I believe that price transparency will continue to be relevant and it will continue to be refined the way that organizations best deliver that information to the patients that they serve. Seems like a lot still to be seen here, but one thing that is certainly not going away is the consumer expectation of a better experience. And so the more that we can do to provide a good experience now, the further ahead we're going to be down the line. Absolutely. As you go from healthcare to being more of a, you know, a consumer good, like, like other things that you, you might purchase or obtain, I believe the expectation will be that you won't go into a hospital and have really very little idea of how much a service is going to cost. And additionally, you know, sort of what, what the outcomes might be. You're going to be a much more active participant in your healthcare, And I think price transparency is, is very much in line with that. There's so much more to say about the price transparency rule in patient financial communication. So why not join the conversation in HFMA's community? There's a lot of good information in the price transparency forum. And of course, it's a great place to connect with other organizations. You can also find HFMA's resources on price transparency and patient financial communication at hfma.org. How do you benchmark your revenue cycle performance? Many organizations measure success compared to past performance. Others leverage software to benchmark against other facilities that share the same technology. But that only paints part of the picture. What about comparing your performance to your peers? Peers that you define in custom peer groups. MapApp is the online benchmarking tool from HFMA that helps organizations compare their performance against data from more than 600 facilities. Interested in taking the next steps to identify your revenue cycle opportunities? Visit hfma.org forward slash MapApp. Cybersecurity is a challenge during the best of times, but the COVID-19 pandemic has made it even more difficult to stay on top of. 
but our sponsor today has strategies for improvement. Chris Dunkerley, CFO at Trimedics, and Doug Folsom, Chief Technology Officer at Trimedics, joined me recently to discuss the importance of a solid cybersecurity plan. You'll hear Chris speak first after my question. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to devastate. It's difficult to make new investments. How has the pandemic impacted both cybersecurity and the ability to invest in new technologies that might help with cybersecurity? We've definitely seen an impact here. And obviously, and, and the biggest impact, of course, is the impact to health system revenues, which are down uh, significantly, you know, 40%. And obviously, the, the CARES Act has mitigated that to, to some degree. But there is still, you know, if you think four weeks ago, there was a significant amount of uncertainty and that's only continuing to, to increase. The second wave is obviously, you know, having an impact. And, you know, the revenue impact is continued, is harsh, and it is large and real. So that obviously impacts anybody's ability to, to reinvest at that time. And if you think about where, they, where investments are going to be made, I also think, you know, everything's going to be different. And what we're seeing is, is investments are going to be different and have different criteria. Doug mentioned about connected devices. You also have to start thinking about what telehealth is going to mean and the new paradigm of, of the healthcare delivery model is going to be. So we, we are certainly seeing, as a result of COVID, the impact on the availability for, for cash and capital. You know, you combine that with the increase in cyber threats, you can certainly see that there's more of a, a war on available money than there has been in the past. So it, it's not lost on us. And, and that's why really it's vitally important that assets that you're bringing on board and assets that are available with the limited and less resources that you used to have, you're aware of the cyber threats and actually the service delivery model that you hope to use to deliver to your customers and patients. I would add on to that and say with the onset of COVID, obviously it pushed a significant increase in telehealth, which in turn creates more exposure and, and really generates very necessary review of the cybersecurity stance. It's a critical component as uh, systems proceed down that uh, digital transformation path. And it's, it's likely that that will stay. We don't expect to see the the telehealth aspect of service delivery change in the future. We expect that to stay. I was speaking with somebody recently about cybersecurity in general, and he kind of told me the first step to having a good cybersecurity strategy. I'm probably simplifying this, but it was know what you have. So let's talk about medical devices specifically. How does visibility into medical device inventory help mitigate your risk? It's absolutely vital. I mean, you, you certainly can't, from a cybersecurity standpoint, protect your network if you don't know what's there and what's on it. You have to have that visibility. But from a risk standpoint, of a fiscal risk standpoint, if you don't know what you've got, you can guarantee you don't know how much how you're using it, how often you're using it, and more importantly, how much you need. And that can create its own behaviours you know, from increased rental equipment, which in and of itself, obviously, is, net, uh, is equipment, again, that you're bringing onto your network and then the, you know, associated cyber risks and cyber threats. So it's like a, a, a vicious circle. It really all does begin with knowing what you've got. Once you know, you can measure your security, measure the inventory, and more importantly, measure what you've got, how you're using it, 
and then get to a point of saying, this is how much we need, and this is why we can justify how much we need, and that allows you to make far more informed decisions based on the discussions that we've had previously about the cost of cyber and the impact of COVID. It's a sort of integral part of taking the next steps in any of the previous discussions that we've had. So we're talking to a finance crowd. Um, this is HFMA after all. And the, the the big question a lot of the time is what's the ROI? So let's talk about ROI for medical device cybersecurity. How can you ensure an ROI? And that is uh, probably a bit of a trick question. Yeah, that's, uh, I would say even like the $64,000 question, but it's, it, it, it's not really. It's really hard to calculate ROI, there are many ways you can do it and there are many ways that you could do it. But of course, what we're talking about here is is prevention and mitigating risk. So in effect, it's like an insurance policy. You know, how, how do you create an ROI on an insurance policy if you haven't had a claim? You know, it's very difficult to, to, to calculate that. But having the sort of cybersecurity program in place, you know, like we've said previously, it protects your brand And if you put things in place and you haven't had an attack when others have, you could argue you've had a pickup as a result of not having an attack. How do you quantify that? From a remediation standpoint, just from what you're spending on remediation, like we we mentioned earlier, compared to the cost of a a cybersecurity program, you're looking at a 3 to 4x ROI. But again, if and when attack happens, I would say the ROI, if if you're going to look at it, if you think of the sort of unquantifiable variables that we mentioned earlier, like brand and provider satisfaction, I would say that if you've not had an attack when others around you may have, the ROI is significant. And I'm not sure that an ROI is necessarily the best way to, to look at this. It's certainly a way, but I think prevention is much better than cure. And you know, I think everybody would rather be in that situation than figuring out the cost of remediation and the negative impact associated otherwise. This episode was sponsored by Trimedics. As the largest independent technology-enabled clinical asset management company in the United States, Trimedics provides strategic planning and management of clinical assets to drive operational cost savings, free up capital for new strategic initiatives, and deliver improved risk management and cyber protection. Learn how Trimedics is driving results at trimedics.com slash results. The coronavirus pandemic made a deep impact on consumer finances, with 5.4 million Americans losing their health insurance due to job losses during the pandemic. More than have ever lost insurance in a single year, according to a July article in the New York Times. In today's Fast Five, sponsored by CareCredit, we have five ways healthcare organizations can help strengthen their relationships with patients during the pandemic. Take a more proactive approach to financial engagement. With cost concerns prompting many consumers to avoid seeking care, hospitals should consider proactively helping consumers understand their out-of-pocket costs of care and also their options for payment. Offer payment options. Arrangements that allow patients to pay over time could be key to helping them move forward with the care they want and need. Make sure payment policies reflect empathy for your patients. Consider delaying collection calls during the height of a coronavirus surge in your market and provide the tools and training staff need to offer the right support for patients at the right time. 
double down on efforts to contact patients through their preferred communication channels, stressing the desire to work with them in establishing financial arrangements that meet their needs, such as financing or payment options. Strengthen remote workforce efficiency. As more revenue cycle work shifts to a remote work environment, assess where opportunities exist to improve efficiency, such as by automating specific tasks like eligibility checks and hiring a vendor to handle paper-heavy processes, such as payment processing. This segment was sponsored by CareCredit. CareCredit understands that increasingly high deductibles and co-pays can make it hard to pay for unplanned health care expenses. Their health, wellness, and personal care credit card is a comprehensive solution that lets patients pay for their out-of-pocket health care costs with payments that help fit care within a monthly budget. For more information, visit carecredit.com HFMA. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our Director of Content Strategy. Our President and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. Special thanks to our sponsors this week, Trimedics and CareCredit. This is our last regular episode for the year, but stay tuned because in 2021, we have amazing things planned. I have a couple of interviews that I cannot wait to share with you. But of course, I always want to know what you want to hear about. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and reach out to tell us what you think. You can email us at podcast at hfma.org. Ah, uh, uh, yeah.